hope you have your Bibles with you this evening because I want us to go through the Gospels and also go through a couple passages in the book of Acts and uh, tie some things together and then spend some time looking at one passage. But I want us to go through a little journey through the Bible first to help set up this particular passage. And um, I feel a little bit like that guy on television that you see in those commercials now called Captain Obvious. I don't know if you've met him or not, but he's on some commercial. It shows you I never pay attention to what he's advertising. I just remember Captain Obvious. Because he states those things that are obvious, that everybody should know. And tonight I'm going to be stating some things that should be obvious to you, that you should know, but yet at the same time, I don't feel like we always get the full implications of what we are reading and what we maybe think we know about a passage. And so I want to spend a little bit of time uh, stating some things this evening that perhaps will make you uh, think a little bit harder about something that you already know. But first of all, let's look at one passage in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 3. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 3, and as always, I'll be reading... Uh, as I do most of the time from the King James Version. Here's a familiar passage that uh, is in reference to John the Baptist. But it says, For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, obviously, we understand and appreciate that the purpose of John the Baptist's ministry was to prepare the nation of Israel for the coming of Jesus Christ. But also think that we can sometimes misunderstand perhaps what is being said here when it talks about the mission of John the Baptist when it says, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. You look at that passage in one way, and this could be the correct way of looking at it, that John the Baptist was preparing uh, the way in the sense that an opportunity was being provided, that he was plowing the ground, if you will. If he was setting the, the, the groundwork, he was making things ready for Jesus Christ to come. And indeed, that was what he was doing. But I, when I look at this passage, I put greater emphasis on the fact that he was preparing something specifically. And the specific thing that he was preparing was the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was the one that was, as I said, setting the stage. But he wasn't just setting the stage for the coming of the Lord. But he was setting the stage for what was going to be known as the way of the Lord. You open your Bibles now to Mark chapter 1 and verse 3, where we have Mark's account of the same thing. Mark 1 and verse 3, repetition, but I want you to see it again, talking about John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Once again, I like that phrase where it says that John the Baptist's purpose is to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, we're moving through the book of Mark. I want to look at one other passage, Mark chapter 12 and verse 14. Here in this particular passage in Mark chapter 12, uh, there are some that are coming to Jesus and they're wanting a decision about whether or not it is okay to uh, pay taxes, if you will, to a corrupt nation. The corrupt nation, of course, is uh, 
uh, Rome. And Rome did some terrible things. And as Jews, they were required by Roman law to pay taxes. And uh, don't know exactly what the intent of these men were. It may have been they were trying to trick Jesus. It may have been that uh, they just wanted to get out of paying their taxes. Or they may have been very sincere about it. But that's not what I want you to understand and appreciate. What I want you to see is what they say to Jesus in Mark chapter 12 and verse 14. And when they were come, they said unto him, Master... We know that thou art true and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of the man, but teacheth the way of God in truth. And then, of course, they ask the question, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? But once again, I'm fascinated and want to zero in on the fact that these men that came to Jesus and asking him this question, they understood and appreciate that here was someone that understood and was honest and sincere in about teaching the way of God in truth. There's that idea of the way again. And I think as we're going to see as we go through these texts that there's really something more going on here than just simply a path or a route. Now if you go to Luke's account in Luke, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 79, here we have the scene where John the Baptist's father, the priest Zacharias, is talking about the coming Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. And we're just going to look at one verse, but he has a lengthy uh, tribute, if you will, to the coming Christ child, the one that's going to be born, that is the cousin of John the Baptist. And he says something interesting in verse 79 of Luke chapter 1. He says, To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zacharias understood and appreciated the fact that we are looking for peace, and the peace that he's talking about is not peace from other nations. Not talking about so much peace between brother and sister or between two neighbors. He's talking about having peace with God. How can we be in a peaceful relationship with God when we're not, where we won't be his enemy anymore. And he, talking about this coming Messiah, says that he is the, going to be the one that is going to guide us into the way of peace. Now, we get to Luke chapter 3 and verse 4, where we have, once again, John the Baptist preaching. And once again, this is repetition, but I want you to see that there's no alteration in Luke's account from Matthew and Mark's account and how this emphasis is given to this particular idea in Luke chapter 3 and verse 4. As it is written in the, in the book of the words of, of Isaiah the prophet saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Then Luke chapter 20 and verse 21. Once again, Somebody coming and talking to Jesus and understanding and appreciating his sincerity, his truthfulness, and how he would always tell them the truth. In Luke 20 and verse 21, that says, They asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Then we move into John chapter 1 and verse 23, which is John's account of John the Baptist. 
Verse 23 of John chapter 1, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Once again, there is that idea of the way. So that's not all the passages that we perhaps could point out. There's some others we're going to point out in a minute in the Gospels. But yet I want you to see there's the beginning of the idea before Jesus ever set foot on this earth that there was something going on about the way. It's the way of the Lord. When Zacharias was talking about the coming of Messiah, it was going to be the way of peace. People, when Jesus was alive, understood and appreciated the fact that he was one that would teach them the way of God. But as you move into the book of Acts, and you see the beginning of the church, you see people becoming Christians, you see Paul and his helpers beginning the missionary journeys they went on, there is a concept that begins to be developed that is both brought out by those who are faithful to God and those who are enemies of God. Look at Acts chapter 16 and verse 17. Acts 16 and verse 17, it says, The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now, once again, I agree we can look at that and say, well, that's a path that they're talking about or that's a direction they're talking about. But yet I think the idea of the way carries on greater significance in that because as we get going through the book of Acts, we see greater significance given to it. In fact, look at Acts chapter 18 and verse 25. Acts 18 and verse 25, it says, This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught diligently the things knowing only the baptism of John. This, of course, is talking about Apollos, who was a man who was a very fervent speaker, one who evidently really knew how to stand up and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he wasn't fully uh, uh, understood what the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want you to appreciate what it says there in verse 25. It says this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And now look at the very next verse. And see how it starts to take on even more significance. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard him, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And we see how it all comes full circle in the book of Acts when even the enemies of Christians start picking up on this idea of the way. In Acts chapter 24 and verse 14, Acts 24 and verse 14, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they called heresy. So worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Now, when I was teaching the series of lessons on the book of Acts, I brought this out briefly, but I want you to notice what's going on here in verse 14 of Acts 24. Something is being called heresy. In other words, the enemies of Christianity 
are referring to this as heresy. In other words, this is something that goes against God. This is something we need to stop. What is the thing they say that needs to be stopped? The text says, the way. But I confess unto thee that after the way, which they call heresy. In other words, we're talking about something specific, something that is known, something that has been labeled, something that they were able to point to it and say, this is it. And it was called the way. Now, as we go through the Bible and you start looking how the way is used in that particular sense, it gets you to thinking that maybe there was something more than just simply going on here than this idea of a direction or a path or, or this is the steps or whatnot. All of that is involved, of course, but I want us to now to go to and look at the verses that perhaps all of this is based upon. Might be wrong on this, but when John was talking about, John the Baptist was talking about how he had a, a specific ministry on the face of the earth to prepare the way for the Lord. When other times they talked about Jesus teaching the way of God. And you get into the book of Acts and after people become Christians, they were, known, they were known as being a part of the way. Well, look at John chapter 14 now. See how this verse really comes full circle when you start thinking at it from that particular standpoint. Jesus, of course, is about to leave this earth. He, of course, has already been crucified and or he's going to be crucified, and he's trying to prepare his disciples to be ready for what's about to happen. And so his disciples, of course, are very upset. In fact, in the previous previous verses, he had just told Peter that uh, he was going to deny Jesus Christ very uh, soon, deny him not once but three times. And so uh, this is a time that's very troubling for the apostles because of about what's about is going to happen very soon. So you begin in chapter 14 in verse 1 with these words. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, and there where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know, now listen to this, and the way you know. Now think about that for a moment. These disciples are upset because Jesus is soon going to be put to death, and he, of course, is going to be leaving them. And he tells them to calm down. He says, oh, I'm preparing a, a wonderful place for you. And one day that you, you can go there, and there is a way you're going to get there, a way that you can know. Well, evidently, there's Thomas, who always wanted to question things when it comes to issues of faith, evidently. He wanted some concrete evidence. Verse 5 says, Thomas saith unto him, Lord... We, not, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Now, Thomas may have been saying, you know, is there some kind of direction we're supposed to head in? Are you going to give us um, some coordinates of how to get there? If we're going to go to where you're going to, it may have been what he was talking about. But Jesus corrects him and points out the fact 
that this is something more than just simply a direction. This is something more than just simply coordinates. He says in verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now Jesus is saying something there that you've all heard before. You're familiar with it. But I don't think you fully sometimes appreciate the impact of what he's trying to say. Now, on face value, obviously, he is telling us that uh, we are here present and uh, God is there up in heaven because that's what the context of what Jesus is saying. He's going back to return to his Father. We're here. He's going to be there. How do we get from here to there? There's a great distance between us, and so we want to find the right way to cover that distance, and that's all involved. But don't miss what Jesus is saying right here in this passage when he says, I am the way. There's three things here I want you to think about, and then the lesson will be yours. First of all, as I look at this verse, it makes me understand and appreciate that Jesus is making a very amazing claim here. He is saying that there is only one way, that it's exclusive. He says, I am the way. The tense there means there's no other way. And to make sure we understand that, he says in the rest of the verse, no one. That cuts out everything. No one. That includes everybody. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, either what Jesus said here is true or what he said here is false. If it's false that there is some other way, then Jesus is a liar and we should not believe a single other thing that he says in the entire Bible. He may be a good moral teacher. He may be someone who did some good things. But if what he says here is false, if he was telling us a falsehood, then you do not need to believe anything else he says. But if what he says here is the truth, that means that there's no other religion a person can be a part of. There's no other man that a man can follow or a woman can follow. Whether that person be Muhammad, whether that person be Buddha, whether that person be Joseph Smith, whether that be whoever. If what Jesus is saying here, he is making the claim that there is no way, no absolute other way for someone to go to heaven except by Jesus Christ. And so Peter can preach in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, that there is no salvation with any other. There is no name under heaven whereby man can be saved except for Jesus Christ. He is the only way that a person can go to heaven. But also notice a second thing that is being taught in this particular passage. Jesus is making a very radical claim that we need to understand and appreciate, and it's something that maybe is obvious, but we need to dwell, deal with it, is by what he is saying here in this particular verse, he's making sure we understand and appreciate the fact that we are not already with the Father. In other words, he's saying, I'm the way. So if I'm the only way, then that means there's, you're not with the Father right now. 
We're cut off. We maybe can live a good life. We maybe can come up with some good philosophy. Um, but there's no sugarcoating the truth here about our human condition or the impossibility of dealing with the condition on our own. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 reminds us that before Jesus Christ we were were without hope and without God in the world. So Jesus points out to us that there's only one way and how that every single man needs to have this way. There's just no, no way around it. We are separated from the Father. But here's the thing I want us to think about that we sometimes really miss on this particular passage. And the third thing that Jesus claims in this passage that we sometimes miss. Don't miss the impact of what he is saying when he says, I am the way. Now, when he himself is the way to God, that does not mean that simply the things that he taught is the way to God. He is claiming to be the actual way to God. Now, if it was just the things that he taught, there may be somebody that came, would come along and maybe have some more advanced teaching or maybe come up with a better uh, philosophy about life and maybe um, say some things that um, are pleasing as far as uh, some kind of teaching. But when this passage says, I am the way, and I believe in the other passages when it talks about the way, it's not just talking about a system of teaching. Though that teaching is important, we need to listen to that teaching and obey that teaching. But the radical claim that Jesus is making in this particular passage is he is saying he is the actual way. I am the only way. You need me as the way, and I am the literal way. In other words, Jesus is saying he himself is the way. He is talking about the fact that it's going to take him. It's going to take his death. It's going to take him suffering on the cross to save us. That he is the only way that mankind can be saved because he is the only one who is the perfect, sinless sacrifice that can save mankind. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, Peter reminds us, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Notice once again what Peter says there. The reason why Christ died was that he might bring us to God. And that's what he's saying in this particular passage. When he says, I am the way, he is saying, I am who I am. He himself is the reason and the way that a person is going to be saved. That without, those, without him, then there's no way possible that mankind can be saved. Now, like I said, I feel like Captain Obvious up here tonight. But I appreciate the fact that Bible study becomes more alive when you start looking at patterns in the Bible and start thinking about how certain things are used. And when you look at John the Baptist and how he was to prepare the way, when Jesus was known as the teacher who taught the way, when Zechariah said that this would be the way to peace, it's interesting that these 
this, these two words keep being used. And then when you get to the book of Acts and you come to the end of it and you think about how the church has grown to the point that even with persecution that the, the enemies of the church refer to the church as the way. And that all comes together in John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but me. Tonight, if you want to come to the Father, there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, through the blood that he shed on the cross. If you're not a Christian, we want to sit down and talk to you about more things that you need to understand and appreciate so you can be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. But if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, I hope I've re-emphasized the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the only way that we're going to be able to spend eternity with him in heaven and those beautiful mansions that he has prepared for us. If you have a need this evening, won't you come as together we stand and sing.